Hey everybody, thanks for tuning back into the Faith Over Fear podcast. I'm Austin Buckland, and today's episode is on the news that changes everything. Have you ever received some kind of news that just changed your life? News that you remember where you were standing when you heard it? What is the best news you've ever heard? If you're a young child, the best news you ever heard may be that your family is going on vacation to Disney World. If you're a high school senior, the best news you have ever heard is maybe that you got accepted to the college of your choice. If you're a college senior, the best news you've ever heard may be that you just landed your dream job after graduation. Or maybe the best news that you've ever heard was that you or a family member was going to have a baby and you were going to have a child or a grandchild, a niece or nephew to love on and care for. All of us can think of a time when we heard what we believe to be the best news we ever heard. Our world today loves to dwell on bad news, doesn't it? Our news cycle repeats the bad news over and over again. Murders, sickness, disease, lies, cheating, stealing. It can get depressing to get caught up in it. It makes us feel low and out of control. But how good does it feel, especially in a time of despair, when we hear good news? I heard about a gallery owner who told one of his artists that he had some good news and some bad news. And the artist asked, asked for the good news first. Well, he replied, the good news is that a man came in here today asking if the price of your paintings would go up after you died. And when I told him they would, he bought every single one of your paintings. And the artist was, of course, elated. And he asked, what could the bad news possibly be? Well, evidently, that man was your doctor. Well, sometimes we have to have bad news for there to be good news. Today, we're going to look at some amazing news out of John chapter 20. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there to John chapter 20. The good news, the great news that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead couldn't happen without him being dead first. A resurrection requires a dead body. And even though Jesus had told them what was going to happen again, and again, and again, here they find themselves caught up in the gloominess of despair, fear, grief, and loss. At the end of John chapter 19, the followers of Jesus probably feel out of control. Mary and the other women who went to the tomb, the disciples, they loved Jesus immensely. They dedicated their lives to him. They were mortified when our Lord was crucified, it was so harsh and so cruel and so unfair. Joseph and Nicodemus took away Jesus' body secretly in the middle of the night because of fear, and they bound his body in linen cloths and with the spices they had brought, and they placed his body in the tomb. And Mark chapter 15 verse 46 tells us that a stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb. Can you imagine the sadness, the confusion, the weeping? Maybe we feel the same things in the midst of bad news. Why did it have to happen like this, God? What did it mean for their lives? The one that they had put their hope in was dead. Well, the disciples of Jesus received some breaking news, courtesy of Mary. News that was life-changing. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices to anoint Jesus, 
And as they arrive at the tomb, they find the stone rolled back from the entrance. And the Bible says that Mary ran to go and tell what had happened. This, today we're going to talk about the breaking news they received and the evidence that surrounds the story. Just as important as the fact of the resurrection also is what does it mean for us? Now today in our world, breaking news might be met with much skepticism and we're careful to believe what we hear about on TV and we read on our phones. We like to see it to believe it. We like to have evidence before something has credibility in our minds. I heard about a young American engineer who was sent to Ireland by his company to work in their new electronics plant. And it was a two-year assignment that he had accepted because it would enable him to earn enough money to marry his longtime girlfriend. Now, she had a job near her home in Tennessee, and their plan was to pool their resources and put a down payment on a house when he returned. They talked on the phone every single day, but as the lonely weeks went by, she began expressing doubts that he was being true to her, exposed as he was to ladies in his new position. So the young engineer declared with passion that he was paying absolutely no attention to the local girls. I admit, he told her, that sometimes I'm tempted, but I fight it off. I am true to you. So the next week, the engineer received a package, and it contained a note from his girl and a harmonica. I'm sending this to you, she wrote, so you can learn to play it and have something to take your mind off those girls. The engineer would tell her during every talk, I'm practicing it every night and thinking of you. Well, at the end of his two-year stint, the engineer was transferred back to company headquarters, and he took the first plane to Tennessee to be reunited with his girl. Her whole family was with her, but as he rushed forward to embrace her, she held up a restraining hand and said sternly, Just hold on there a minute, Billy Bob. Before anything gets serious here, let me hear you play that harmonica. Well, we like to have evidence that what we hear is true. Well, can you imagine John and Peter when they hear that there's a missing body? Could this really be true? And the Bible tells us that they ran. You can picture them running as fast as they could towards the tomb, where indeed they would find a tomb with no body, no Jesus but only his grave clothes. Peter went in first, and verse 8 says that John also went in and saw and believed. Jesus appeared to Mary, and she exclaimed to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Certainly, she too believed. Later on, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked out of fear. Now imagine being in that upper room. Imagine the atmosphere as they try to piece together the evidence for the resurrection. Certainly, they talked about the reasons behind why it had to be true. Who rolled away the stone? What about the grave clothes that hadn't been cut and laid there perfectly, as if the body inside just vanished? Where could the body have gone? What about the prophecies and the eyewitnesses? But they weren't completely convinced. Suddenly, the Bible tells us, Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And look at verse 20. He showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared, and upon hearing the news, he said in verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So eight days later, Jesus once again appears and says, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Well, to the disciples, seeing was believing. The truth is, there are people like that today. They'll only believe if they can see. Some people aren't satisfied with the faith that is based on the evidence of the Word of God alone. It has to be visible. One Russian astronaut came from outer space and he said, I didn't see God. And I like what one preacher said about that. If that old boy would have stepped out of the spacecraft, he would have seen God. He would have called on him all the way down, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the evidence is overwhelming. Remember what the Lord said in Matthew 16, verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but none will be given you except the sign of Jonah. Well, God has put enough evidence under our noses that if we don't believe, we are without ex excuse. Think about it for a minute. What would a believable resurrection require? That's the first thing we're going to talk about, investigating the evidence of the news. Well, first of all, it requires proof of a physical death. Seems pretty obvious, right? There was a couple trying to break into high society, so they hosted an elegant and expensive dinner party, and as the guests were enjoying their dinner salad, the maid called the hostess from the table, and the maid informed her that the cat had climbed onto the kitchen table and eaten a large portion of the salmon's midsection. So the hostess decided to fill the eaten portion with some canned salmon and other camouflage. As the guests were enjoying the fish, the maid called to the hostess into the kitchen, and she nervously announced, Madam, the cat is dead. Well, as horrible as this was, they didn't want to take any chances, so the hostess and her husband informed the guest and suggested it probably would be best if everyone went to the hospital and had their stomachs pumped. No reason to risk food poisoning, so all the guests went to the emergency room and had their stomachs pumped. When the couple returned home, they asked the maid where she put the cat. She said, well, it's still out on the road where the truck ran over it. <laughs> well, maybe she could have been a little clearer on the details. But you see, the scriptures are quite clear in their explanation. The details of the death of Jesus Christ were quite specific. Since it was the day before the Sabbath and the bodies could not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. They would break the legs of those being crucified to finish off the process. So there was no way they could hold themselves up and get any breath. But when they came to Jesus, they realized he was already dead. Even more so, to be sure, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and blood and water poured out, giving medical proof that he was dead. If the Roman government in charge of Jerusalem at the time had been able to squash these rumors that Jesus had risen from the dead and to kill this Jesus movement, which they desperately wanted to do, by the way, all they would have had to do was produce his corpse and put it on display for everyone to see and say, here's your risen Savior. 
but they didn't. They didn't because they couldn't. Second of all, it requires proof of an empty tomb. Matthew 27 verses 62 through 64 tells us that they were warned ahead of time because of some of Christ's predictions. They said, we want to make sure that we have that tomb guarded in case his disciples steal the body and say he came back from the dead. So Pilate posted guards there and they put a seal on it so the stone could not be moved or else it would mean death to whoever moved it. Matthew 28 tells us that an angel appeared and that the soldiers were struck as if they were dead. The angel rolled away the stone in front of the tomb. Now these officials have a problem, don't they? How are you going to explain this one to the boss? But you know what those guys did? They went to the officials and they told them honestly everything that had happened. You know what the officials did? They reached in and into their pockets and they pulled out some money and they said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell people that you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. Here's the money. Don't say anything differently. Well, they were given hush money. But the flaw in that story is if that's the way it really happened, then those guards would not have lived. Those guards would have died. They would have received death instead of hush money. But they were kept because they were false witnesses. Their made-up story is significant because it shows that the Jews did not deny the empty tomb. Instead, their stolen body theory admitted the significant truth that the tomb was empty. In acknowledging the empty tomb, they admitted the reality of a fact that was certainly not in their favor. So why would they admit that the tomb was empty unless the evidence was too strong to be denied? If the followers of Christ had really stolen the body in order to fabricate the resurrection, do you honestly believe that the disciples would have gone through persecution, torture, and death? knowing that this resurrection was just simply a hoax? I read about a video segment that a Switzerland news station published many years ago on April Fool's Day that showed a family harvesting spaghetti noodles from the family spaghetti tree. The spaghetti was relatively unknown in the UK, and most people didn't realize how it was made, and a number of viewers actually contacted the news station after it was aired on advice for growing their own spaghetti trees. While the producers might have had fun with the joke, I'm willing to bet that none of them would have stood up for that story to their death. Why would anybody be tortured and be put to death for a lie? Third of all, it requires proof of credible witnesses. All it would take is just for one person to say, okay, okay. Here's where we hid the body, or just one person to say, we made it all up. It's a lie. Don't kill me. Yet not one of them did. John writes in 1 John, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. Paul, years after the resurrection, would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-8, through 8, The Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it, that He was buried, that He was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says, 
that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died, that he spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. Why would 10 of the disciples willingly die as martyrs for their belief in the resurrection? People will often die for a lie that they think is the truth. But if Jesus did not rise, the disciples knew it. Thus, they wouldn't have been dying for a lie that they had mistakenly believed was true. They would have been dying for a lie that they knew was a lie. Nearly 2,000 years later, God's people still gather and we remember because Jesus is alive and you don't forget something like that. We have the evidence of God's word and evidence of changed lives. Time has not dampened the story. Time has strengthened it. So we hear the news and we believe that the story is true. We believe the evidence of the physical death of the empty tomb and the credible witnesses. But what implications does the story have for us? Not only must we find truth in the evidence, but we also must understand what the evidence means for us. When John went into the tomb, he believed. But verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They knew what had happened, but they didn't understand what it meant yet. We can try to prove the evidence of the news all we want, but what does the news prove to us? This isn't just some old dusty piece of literary history. This story brings new life. Number one, the news proves his power. The news proves his power. The resurrection proves the power of our Lord. What power did Jesus claim to have? Well, he claimed to be God. Now, if Jesus had stayed dead in the tomb, it would be foolish to believe this claim. But since he rose from the dead, it would be foolish not to believe it. The resurrection proves that what Jesus said about himself is true. He is fully God and fully man. If he's God, he speaks with absolute certainty and final authority. Why wouldn't you trust Jesus who rose from the grave? Now, we hear about several people in the scriptures who were brought back to life, including Lazarus and the widow's son, but Jesus brought himself back to life. Talk about power. It's interesting to hear about many different religions in the world. Jesus is the only religious leader who has risen from the dead. All the other religious leaders are still in their tombs. Jesus' resurrection demonstrates that what he said was true. Some bones from one of Buddha's fingers were sent as a gift to the emperor of China during the Tang Dynasty. They were later forgotten about and again found in 1981. And the finding was a sensation to Buddhists everywhere. And the bones are now visited by many Buddhists. But if someone claimed to find a finger that belonged to Christ, no Christians would believe him because our faith is founded on the fact that there's no finger to find. Christ rose from the dead. People can claim to have power over the grave all they want physically, but until they can prove the resurrection like Jesus did, who would buy any other news story? Number two, the news proves his plan. The news proves his plan. 
Jesus' mission as he was put on this earth was not an easy one. He not only knew that his enemies were going to try to kill him, but he knew that they were going to succeed. Shortly before going to Jerusalem for the last time, he told his disciples, they will condemn him to death and will hand them over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. In spite of all this, Jesus went forward with courage and he paid for it with his life. He could have fled. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have begged God at the last minute to intervene and rescue him the same way he rescued Abraham's son Isaac century before. He could have performed signs and persuaded the crowd about who he really was. But no, he knew that none of these were going to happen. Instead, Jesus went forward for one reason and with one intention. He knew it was God's plan for him to die. And he knew it was God's plan Because by his death, he would become the final sacrifice for the sins for you and I. You and I have sinned and we deserve only God's judgment, but God loves us. And on the cross, all of our sins were placed on Christ and he died in our place. How great is it that God loves us that much? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the plan of God And it was in place before the creation of man. We read prophecies of Jesus' resurrection all throughout Scripture. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies with his birth, life, death, and resurrection. That he wouldn't be abandoned to the realm of the dead. Psalm 16, that his body wouldn't see decay. That none of his bones would be broken. That he would ascend to heaven and sit at God's right hand, Psalm 110. That his death would serve as an ultimate offering for sin so that God's people could be redeemed, Isaiah 53. And that agony would be rewarded and that he would conquer death in the end, Isaiah 25. You see, God's power means that his plan will bring us peace, which brings us to the final point today. Number three, the news provides us peace The news provides us with peace. Because of his perfect plan and his power, we can be at peace with him when we obey his commands. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God will judge the world one day. The Apostle Paul said, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ proves that the resurrection is inevitable for us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we don't measure up to his standard. We're sinful, therefore deserve to be condemned at his judgment. We usually think of resurrection merely in the positive sense of those going to heaven, but the Bible teaches that based upon their faith in Christ, or lack thereof, every person who dies will be resurrected and assigned a place for eternity. Each one is going to be either sent to heaven or to hell. There's no middle ground. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, A man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Well, if you live only for this life, when you think that that is all that there is, you can't help but live in despair. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to live this life with the next one in mind. The news that matters is what the Bible says, and what counts is what the one who came back from the grave has to say about it. Our bodies will be resurrected, 
from the grave. John chapter 5, verses 28 through 29 says, Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Our bodies will be resurrected as new bodies. The natural body will be become an imperishable spiritual body. The resurrection of Christ provides genuine hope for eternal life. Why? Because Jesus says that by trusting in him, we will be forgiven of our sins and thereby escape from being condemned at the judgment. The good news is that God, out of his love for us, came to pay the penalty for sinners. And on that cross, he took upon himself the very death that we deserve. As we close today, look back at the disciples and how the news transformed their lives. The followers of Christ were changed. Well, Christ continues to change people today. Hard hearts are softened. Closed minds are opened. Clenched fists are relaxed. And filthy hearts are purified. Even in spite of all the incredible evidence of the news, there will always be a step of faith required to accept Jesus. Norm Geisler says, God doesn't ask us to take a blind leap of faith into the darkness, but he does ask us to take a step of faith into the light. Well, his resurrection is good news after a Christian dies, but it's also good news for Christians while they live. It's good when you realize that you don't have to earn your way into heaven. Without the resurrection, one can only pity Jesus as a martyr and his believers whose ideals were sadly misunderstood. But with it, one must stand in awe of the exalted Messiah, the Son of the living God, who gave his life as a ransom for many, who reigns at God's right hand and who will return to bring us to eternity with him. The power that resurrected is still resurrecting. I'll say that again. The power that resurrected is still resurrecting. We gather together not to remember a myth, but to celebrate an event. Not to concentrate on philosophy, but to commemorate history. True, real, live, pulsing with love event. The grave couldn't contain the power of his name. Death couldn't defeat his plan, and nothing can take away the peace that we have with him. Without the resurrection, the gospel is meaningless. Forgiveness is hopeless. Present life would be joyless, and future life would be worthless. I heard about a little boy named Philip who never felt like he belonged. Now, Philip was pleasant enough, but he looked a bit different, and sometimes he seemed unusual to his eight-year-old classmates. In his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, Philip's teacher introduced a special project. She gave each child a plastic egg and explained that each kid was to go outside, find a symbol for new life, and put it into the egg. The class responded enthusiastically, and they ran outside to find their treasures. And back in the classroom, the eggs were opened one at a time. Now, in the first egg was a beautiful flower. In the next, uh, a wonderful butterfly. 
and green grass was in the third. The children ooed and awed. In another egg was a rock, which prompted loud laughter. And finally, the last egg was opened, and there was nothing. That's stupid, said one child. And another one grumbled, someone didn't do it right. The teacher, figuring it was Philip's egg, moved it aside, not wanting to embarrass him. But the teacher felt a tug on her dress. And it was Philip who said, aren't you going to talk about my egg? That's mine, and I did do it right. It's empty because the tomb was empty, so the egg should be empty too. Well, it was Philip who had helped his friends to see the wonderful hope in the message of Easter. And I want you to remember that there is great meaning in the news of the empty tomb. The world looks at emptiness and hardly ever thinks of anything good associated with it. An empty cup, an empty heart, empty promises. In turn, the world will leave you feeling empty. But only God could take something empty and make it marvelous for us. The empty tomb means life, hope, and joy forever. And that's the news that changes everything. Alfred Hackley wrote a marvelous hymn. The words say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. Just the time I need him, he's always there. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, does Jesus live within your heart on this wonderful day? What are you going to do with that fantastic news? That just like Jesus was buried, when we are baptized, we bury our old self. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When you go down into that watery grave, you put off your old self and you come out of there a new creation. If you haven't made that great commitment, why not do so? What better day to make that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and have your sins washed away? Why not do so? If you need to reach out in any way, let me know. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Faith Over Fear. Hope you have a great day.